Welcome back to the Actually Podcast, the podcast for the real life working screenwriter. I'm Tasha Hugh. And I am Josh Hallman. And as a reminder, Act 2 is a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. So this podcast is one of the things we do. So thank you for joining us here. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast. We have really cool guests coming up that you don't want to miss out. Yeah. You can also DM us with questions and topic suggestions or just say hi. And you can reach out to us at act2writers at gmail.com, all spelled out, or on our Instagram and Twitter. And I am on those things. I am, what am I? I'm Story Thursday on Instagram and Tasha 3.0 on Twitter. You're starting to sound like me, Tasha, forgetting your own uh, social media <laughs> handles. I am Joshua Hallman on Twitter, Josh Hallman on Instagram. I need to talk about something. Hit me. The Batman. I finally saw it. I'm so excited. I'm excited by your face right now. I know no one else can see it, but you you are <sighs> pumped, and so I am pumped. First and foremost, I should have seen it in a theater. Number one. Oh, my God. Josh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh I boy. messed up. I really messed up. The reason I didn't is because I had heard some mixed reviews from some trusted friends of mine. Like, And then I started to None notice- None of which were me- or no, 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 no. Friend of that, the podcast, Dave. No, not it, neither. Neither of you said anything about it. But I finally saw the Batman, and I freaking loved it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you and Dave both loved it. Mm-hmm. And I've heard really split things about the Batman. But I was watching it, and I'm a big Batman fan. Mm. I love like the Tim Burton, the Nolan. I love them all. Mm. But I was watching this Batman, and I was like holy shit this is so different in the best possible way mm-hmm. this like dark crime story that it was like the first batman that didn't want to be bruce wayne it was mm-hmm. like just it blew my mind i just loved it i was so into it and he was yeah. beating up people it was so it was i'm all in on the batman <laughs> that's all i felt like i had some I... screenwriting things in there but i just got so excited just <laughs> talking just about it. it but i just want everyone to know just go see the batman now i uh <laughs> i liked yeah. i liked dave's uh sort of comp for it where he said it, it's seven meets batman yeah which yeah, yeah, it yeah. very much felt like i guess a return to the original comics which i have not read but we walked out and paul my fiance was like oh my god that's just like the original comic like they went mm. back to that tone where he was originally a detective and it was a detective comic. And yeah. I think that's super cool. I love the version of Bruce Wayne slash Batman as a detective that yeah. gritty and film noirish, and I'm into it. Yeah. And he's just chasing down like a serial killer. Yeah. And I feel like if you're just viewing this as a screenwriter and you're taking a look at it, you can you can take the Batman out of it and it's still like a cool and interesting story. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Agree. Man. Agree. I went to a panel at WonderCon that was the psychology behind the Batman specifically. And it was interesting to hear them talk about how, spoiler alert, everyone. At the end, I was like, oh, this is a flaw of the movie. But the way they talked about it in this panel, these psychologists, they're like, actually, it's not a flaw. But it's that he doesn't actually solve the crime. The Riddler actually explodes all of his bombs in the city. And he kind of wins. And Batman kind of stops a lot of nothing. Mm -hmm. And that's really interesting because he's not yet become full Batman where he's super confident and super capable. We're seeing him at an early phase where if you like see his journals, like he's only on year two Mm -hmm. of doing this, of like watching over Gotham. 
I thought it was cool because I it it felt like oh it's every other Batman sure it's a detective story but he's gonna win the day and everything's gonna be great and that's not what happened and instead because it was so traumatic for him by the end of the movie because he failed to stop the serial killer he changes and that's what motivates his change to become a hero versus a an anti villain and I just thought that was really cool like that arc was awesome. Yeah, I thought he also had an awesome arc. And also a spoiler here, even though you've already spoiled a lot more, <laughs> is there's this line that I just loved where throughout the entire movie, you know, he calls himself vengeance. And he's like, mm. I'm vengeance. I'm vengeance. And then at the end, he's after one of these criminals. And they're like, who are you? And the criminal's like, I'm vengeance. And I was like, oh! This I know, is, chills just thinking about it. Like, everyone's got their <laughs> own, like story going on right here and what's good to batman is bad to someone else and what's good to someone else is bad to batman and it was just like damn yeah, that so was good. great great character work and i i loved it and it's different and it's unique and i and i just really appreciated that about the batman i agree okay that's off my chest <laughs> all right well my my this week in writing is not as exciting as yours but I was talking to a producer friend of mine, and she was asking me to kind of be a part of a project that normally I sort of wouldn't be a part of because the way it's set up is that I would write an outline for something and I kind of pass it along to someone else in a different country to go write the actual scripts based on this outline. Wow. And I was like, mm, I don't know. It doesn't sound super interesting to me. <laughs> but then she started talking about how she's been trying to get a lot of writers involved in this. And a lot of writers will be like, no, I don't want to because I want control over the final product. I want control mm -hmm. over the final product. And I feel like if you can get to the stage where you're super busy, right? You're doing all your things, the things that you want to be doing. But then you get this offer from a producer that's like, hey, I just need you to write an outline. We'll pay you for that outline. And then we're going to pass it along to another writer. You'll still be the creator of this show. But this other person in another country is going to go write it. And then the way she described it to me, and the reason why I'm bringing it up, is because she described it, I think, in a unique way where she's like, what writers need to understand is this is like a side hustle for writers, where you don't mm. actually have to do the writing yourself, but you can still be the creator and still be a part of it. But it, someone else is kind of doing the hard work, right? Yeah. Like the actual page one stuff. And so there, there is eventually like a consulting producer role that you can take. And to think of that as a side hustle rather than being taken advantage of, I think can be really interesting and open up a writer's career to different options than just writing and controlling their own material. Mm. And I just wanted to bring that up as something for people to think about because I find that very interesting. Yeah, that's great. So you're saying essentially to take on different projects where you're just at one phase, you write the outline and then you just kind of come on as a producer. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm working with another writer who I'm just helping him come up with his pitch. Yeah. And we're going to pitch it together, but then I'm not going to run a show for him. I'm just going to help him sell it. And if we sell it, come on as a consulting producer. And that's, that's your side hustle. Like that's a thing you're doing over here while you're doing your other stuff that you love. That's an amazing side hustle. Yeah. It's a pretty cool I mean, idea to look at it to that think way. of it that way. Yeah. yeah. I okay. felt like I had some more thoughts on that, but that's great. <laughs>
No, it is. It's like, yeah, this is the side hustle. I, I'm wrapping my head around it rather than trying to, because a lot of times you kind of pigeonhole yourself. Like I can only do this, 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 and this. Like I can only be a screenwriter and only do this. I'm in Tasha. Yeah, I agree. That's really well said. I think um, we get, we get boxed in or we, we feel precious about what being a screenwriter means, but I think being a screenwriter can mean many different things. I have uh, another showrunner, for example, who is attached to one of my previous projects that we did not sell, who is doing this very thing where he's consulting, producing on a bunch of stuff. He's just having other writers kind of come in and he works with them to get the script in the right place. He'll, he maybe uh, writes half of it with them. So he's co-writing it, but there are very few projects now that he's like fully just writing himself and that's a great place to be. Yeah. And to think of it as a side hustle, I think, is, is really yeah, the, that's key the key to this, this week in writing. Okay, okay. I'm going to shut up now. Move yeah. on to the big topic. Wow. We're in? We're in. I'm so excited for this topic. We talked about Tony Gilroy's seven steps to writing an original screenplay. And now we're doing Tasha's <laughs> three <laughs> steps on how to start an adaptation. Literally just start it. Just like embark on your very first journey to adapt something that is not a screenplay into a screenplay. And I am very much joking when I am putting no. my name in the same breath as Tony Gilroy's. So to clarify, I am in no, no way. Don't, no, don't, don't walk this back. As you were saying this, I was thinking to myself, I'm going to create some steps for something. <laughs> Josh's steps. <laughs> Josh's I want steps. that next week. <laughs> Step one, grab iced coffee. <laughs> I, I'm going to, I'm going to get my, I'm going to figure mine out, but this is a, this is a Tasha centric episode and that excites it's adaptations. Me. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I think adaptations are important. They're very important. <laughs> and if there's someone who knows how to do it, it's you. And that's why I'm going to be here poking holes in all of your steps and making <laughs> sure that this is a sound uh, process. Oh, boy. Okay. All right. Well, I should at first say to people who don't know, because otherwise they'll think I'm a maniac, that I've adapted Red Sonia, which is a mm -hmm. comic book, into a movie. Um, I'm currently doing Tomb Raider, which is a video game, into a 22-minute animated show. I'm developing an anime into a live action show. I'm writing a feature of a show, it's a TV show adapting into a feature. I'm I'm adapting a book into a feature. So I'm doing a lot of adaptation stuff. So I've just been thinking about it for a very long time. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> I, I love how that started as the things you can talk about. And then it, it slowly went into the things that you can't the talk about. <laughs> things over here something else. Uh, <laughs> and i kind of joked with with some people on twitter that my adaptation process is definitely not a guide it's just what i do because in, in my mind there is a little bit of chaos to it but as i was kind of thinking about this process i'm kind of behind these steps i i i believe in them <laughs> yeah i'm okay. so ready <laughs> okay okay uh, okay first let's start with just talking about adaptations just generally for a second just to just to get in the right mindset so in this particular case we're going to be talking about adapting a book or a graphic novel a comic book a short story some kind of underlying written material that is its own complete separate thing from a screenplay we're going to leave out 
video games or other scripts and stuff like that. We're just talking about those things. And I say this because a book author or a graphic novelist might be a really amazing author, like the greatest novelist of all time, but those amazing skills at prose writing and telling stories in kind of hundreds and thousands of pages with tiny little font is a very different process than having to now write a screenplay that's succinct, that's only 120 pages with really big page breaks. They're uh-huh. just the skills are, are very different. So when we talk about adaptation, I think it's important to remember that when we see movies like Fantastic Beasts, we understand that there's a difference between writing novels and writing screenplays. No offense. Uh, okay, mm. the reason... <laughs> the reason I'm saying all of that is because I think the biggest mistake we make in adaptation is to look at the IP that you are adapting and think, okay, this is the holy grail. How do I translate this IP, this book, this comic book, how do I translate it into a film or a TV show? But remember, it's not called translation, it's called adaptation, which Mm. insinuates that there's going to be a lot of changes between the IP that you loved reading and the thing that will eventually turn into your movie or TV show. So I just want to say that as setup. I have a question, Yes. but maybe maybe you're going to answer it as you keep going on. But so I'm going to, I'm going to throw it out there. Okay. So you're saying that now and you're adapting something, but do you speak with an author prior to, you know, writing an outline? So you kind of know the parameters in which you can play with, like, like, do you honor Mm -hmm. an author's wishes, for instance, if they're like, Hey, I really love this uh, Katniss relationship with PETA, you know, in mm-hmm. the Hunger Games. And you just, that's the only thing you have to keep. Like, does that happen? It does happen, but it really depends on the scenario. And the scenario is usually what is the rights situation right. and what does okay. the deal look like. So, for example, there's one thing I'm working on where the creator has absolutely no say whatsoever on how we adapt the movie. And so there is complete and utter freedom to do whatever you want. And they will get to read it and they'll have comments, but you sort of don't have to contractually honor what the creator wants. Mm. There are also situations where the creator says, hey, I understand adaptation, go for it, do whatever you need to do. My thing is my own thing your movie is going to be its own thing, like go with God. Mm-hmm. And then there's another version on another thing I'm working on where the author does have a say. The author does have contractually can say, no, you can't do that. Yes, you can do that. Um, and then you just work with your producers on how to manage that relationship. But like, I love authors. I, I mean, every writer I am a huge fan of. So I love to talk to authors. I have done it before. I pitched my ideas to them before. I feel like they're nothing but valuable in terms of like, how how did you fall in love with this idea? What are the roots of it? Let's talk about theme. Um, They've lived in it for so long. But you do have to be able to separate what they have done and what they tell you in those meetings to what you want to do and to what is necessary for your adaptation. Mm -hmm. Does that answer your question though? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. All right. Step one. Are you ready? Uh, Yeah. Read the IP, (laughs) which is obvious, right? That's the first step for everything. Um, Some people 
read and they underline and they highlight and they flag things in the book. But I don't really do that at this stage. When I read the IP for the first time, I might maybe highlight something or maybe earmark one thing if it's like, wow, this is the theme of the movie. Like it's clearly stated. It's so obvious. I need to remember that. I'm going to highlight that. But interesting scenes, pieces of dialogue, settings, turning points. I'm not doing any of those kinds of highlights or underlining when I'm doing my read of the book because I want to just read it clean. I want to read it like a fan of the IP and I just want to experience it. And the practical writing reason for why I do that is that when I put the book down and I'm done with it, I want to ask myself, what do I remember? Without having to flag scenes and go back through it, what stands out to me? So step one is just sit there and read it. Just absorb it. Fall in love with the material like any reader would, as a fan would, and then put the book down. Step two is write down the big moments that stand out to you. Mm -hmm. So now that you've read it, you've highlighted, or sorry, you've not highlighted or earmarked <laughs> anything, <laughs> except maybe the theme that you really loved because you saw that in there, but you, you've just read it clean. Now it's time to put the book down and in your head, just from memory, what are the moments or the relationships that you want to include in your version of this? Now, this is not what are the big moments in the IP? And therefore, moments I should put in my movie. That's that's the IP. Again, that's separate. Those big moments work for the IP. This is movie time, right? So in your ideal version of the movie, what did you love about the book that you definitely want to put in? And just start jotting those things down. Mm -hmm. And they might be moments, like literally how a character reacts to something that another character says, and that really caught you, and it was just a perfect moment. You want to include that. It might be action set pieces. It might be a big overall general thing, like, I love the way Josh Hallman is perceived as a hero by <laughs> everyone who knows him. <laughs> yes, I love it too. Like maybe you yep. just love that idea and you want to keep that. So you jot that down. So step two is really just start jotting down these moments that you remember after reading the book and not taking notes. Now, I remember I read this one book and the opening was amazing. It was like the greatest opening ever. And wow. everyone I talked to who read this book loved the opening. They felt like it set up the world. It set up the character. You instantly love the hero of the book. But what bugged me is it just did not work as the opening of a movie or a TV show. It just took too long to set up something. And when you mm -hmm. only have two hours for a movie, like that's just not enough time to do that. So during this step two process, I might write that this opening scene was awesome. But I might not because I might know instinctively that that's really not something that's going to go in my movie. Yeah. But if I do write it down, the only reason would be as a reminder to, hey, go back and look at that scene. Is there anything from that scene that I can steal, that I can move into something else so that I'm still capturing the thing that I loved about it, but I'm injecting it someplace else? Because if it stuck with me after I was done reading the book then there's something interesting in there that's going to attract someone else as well. Yeah, that I always find that uh, pretty 
crazy, which I can't think of an example, of course, off the top of my head, but when you read a book and then you see the movie and like the scenes are out of place and you're mm-hmm. like, wow, that's crazy. How did this happen? Like this, it always just confused me, but I loved it that it was happening like that. I always try and find those pieces too that people do because it is it can be so creative how they trick you into feeling the same thing, but by giving you something different than mm-hmm. what you read in the book. Um, Harry Potter, the whole series, is a great example of doing that. At oh, yeah. Harry Potter, Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park. Oh, yeah. It's a great example. The Postman by David Brin. Totally read it. <laughs> another example. There's another book that I read where there's class warfare in the book. And at one point, this little servant boy gets his throat slit at a party. <sighs> oh, Jesus. Which is like a, a really intense moment. Yeah. <laughs> right? And like days after I was reading it, I was like, oh, I can't get that moment out of my head. I never flagged it in the book. I knew I didn't need to because it stuck Mm -hmm. with me for so long. And it was clearly such a visceral and powerful moment that it had to be in whatever movie adaptation this was. And this is kind of a Joshian philosophy where like, if you forget it, then it's not important. Yes. And I do not subscribe to this in any other place except in adaptation. Yeah. No. It, well, so then are you trying to sculpt scenes around this boy's throat getting cut? Are you like, okay, where am I going to put this in? How am I going to do this? Or is it just in your head and you know it's going to organically work itself in? A little of both. If, it, if I feel like I'm like cramming it in there and stuff's not naturally falling in around it, then yeah. I'll kind of save it for later and figure out where it goes. But if it's that powerful, I know it has to be in there. Right. And therefore, yeah, stuff does kind of have to build to allow for this moment to happen. Hmm. So that's another great way of starting. You, you see that how, how that process can start to help you build what this adaptation can look like. Okay. Step three. Yes. Block out your movie. So... Maybe I'm a weirdo that this is already step three. Uh, maybe other people no. do a lot more homework. Um, I feel like a lot of people's instincts are to go back into the book and start doing what I said not to do in step one, which is just start flagging things, start highlighting things. When I first started doing adaptations, I would see people's pictures that they would post online on like Instagram and stuff of their book just completely flagged with all these different things. And and they've like taken pages out of the book and pasted them on their wall. And I'm like, oh my God, I have to do that. But I never, I just, I don't adapt that way. That doesn't make sense to me entirely because again, it makes me feel like I'm beholden to the book and I'm not properly adapting it. So step three is really starting to just take those ideas you have in two, the things that really struck you and start, writing an outline around them. What Mm -hmm. are those big turning points that you had? What are those big character moments that you have? If you have the the throat slitting thing, how do you build to that? Is that like, is that a huge thing where, where it's now a low point for our character? What do we want this moment to feel like? Cause how did I feel when I read that in the book? I want to portray that exact feeling in my movie. So it's taking what you read and remembered and starting to build a story around that. I love that. Yeah? I think so. It's not I really crazy? Like no, no, no. That all seems to make sense to me. 
And now I'm just starting to think back on, on different books and movies and, and kind of how I would do things differently and just reading certain yeah. things or like moments that stick out to you as you're reading. That's it. Like I feel like your adaptation of the same book should be different than my adaptation. We might have the same like major beats, mm -hmm. but the tone of it might be completely different. How we get to certain things might be completely different. And I think that's what makes your take on that story so unique and interesting is because you're taking what you read, your version of Harry Potter or whatever book, and yeah. your experience was different than mine in reading it. And I think that's cool. Yeah. I actually recently reread the first Harry Potter book and I watched the movie. Let me, I read like the first half of it, actually. I, I'm still in the process of reading it. And there are parts within like the first 20 pages of Harry Potter that are just completely taken out of the movie. Mm -hmm. And it, it's just a reminder of like, okay, you know, you can, you, it's like kill your babies. Like that saying, yeah. these things that seem so fucking important, but they're not. You don't even and you don't know. miss them, right? Yeah, you yeah. don't miss any of it. Yeah. yeah. Yep, I know it's it's pretty cool. So for the book that I'm adapting now, like I read it years ago because I just loved it as a fan, and then to pitch on the job, I reread it once. I highlighted nothing. I wrote my pitch off that one read. I wrote the outline, and I still didn't reread it. Wow. <laughs> and now that I'm writing the script. Let me take a step back. The reason why I didn't reread it is, again, because I didn't want to be beholden to the novel. I wanted to find the movie and the way the movie moves from point to point, because I'm going to remember the big points. You don't miss these right. big turning points when you read the book. But I wanted to get there in a way that didn't feel like, oh, I have to keep this scene in. I have to keep this scene in. Because once you start pasting pages up on your wall, you suddenly, you're like, yeah, that's a really great scene. How do I find a way to to put that in yeah well, it might be a really great scene but leave it in the book if it doesn't fit and that's okay and it sucks and it feels hard and sad because you want people to, people to experience this scene in a theater but if it doesn't work for you you have to leave it alone which is why again i advocate for not rereading in such a heavy kind of homework sort of way mm -hmm. so i'm now writing the script and here's when i find myself when i get to certain sections that are in the book here's where I go to that section in the book and just reread the scene then as I'm writing to be like, okay, what are some of the nuances that I've definitely missed because I've not flagged it and I've not reread it in so long. Okay, cool. These are some of the nuances. These are the bits I want to keep. And Oh, some of these nuances are great, but they probably go really well, like on page 75 instead of here. So that's kind of where I do the redive is when I'm writing the script and yeah. suddenly feel like, mm, I'm not sure I have what the character dynamic is here. Or I remember the character dynamic being so cool in the book in this scene. Let me see what he did or she did, the author. So that's when I'm rereading. Wow. But it seems like you still have to have a pretty good handle on the book in order to do the outline, like to start blocking things out, right? Like if, like you, you had said that with this one project, you read the book, you knew it pretty well, right? And mm -hmm. then you pitched on it but you only read it one more time before you pitched on it. Yeah. And it had been years since I reread it before then. And then so. you, and then did you have a pretty extensive pitch? Yeah. Wow. You must really love this book. I love this book. <laughs> I think that also, it sounds like I might, I might be completely wrong about it, but it, it sounds like you also have to kind of love something to really, um, 
be able to do that and like to have like an understanding of the world. And this is Mm -hmm. like, if I were to pick up some random author and read the book and then try to pitch it, it it might be like pulling teeth if I don't like the genre or if I don't like whatever the story's about. Yeah. I mean, in that case, even more, because I've been in that situation for sure, like even more lean into the version you want to do. Yeah, right? The version that makes you excited because if there's no point in doing it if it sucks for you, but you have to do it for a job because it's a job. So find the version that works for you. And I will say that in my experience in adapting books that I've read, the closer I stay to the book, the less people tend to like my pitch because it's obvious. They've read Mm, it. That's what the book is. Cool. Great. But if you come with a really interesting version that's visceral and takes what they loved about the book and, and makes it a movie, makes it different and you're experiencing it the same, but different, you're making it Joshian. Yeah. Then they respond to that better. So I would say, again, even more in those cases where you don't like the IP, lean into the, to the version that you like the most, put the book down, even if you didn't like the book, there's going to be bits that you liked. Write those three bits down <laughs> and say, how can I make that into a movie that's exciting? Or what in here made me like it, made me lean in for the first time in this book? And is there a theme I can pull out of there or a relationship I can pull out of that? And use those as like the seeds for your inspiration to adapt it, I think. Yeah. And do you, as you, Tasha, when you're pitching this, I know we're kind of getting out of this, but are you, are you saying hey, this is where we're going to start deviating from the book. This relationship has changed a bit. Or you just lean into the to your pitch and just go with it. It's the latter. I started yeah. doing by doing the first one where I say, I actually started with, this is what I love about the book. And this is what I don't really like about the book. And then here's the story I, I want to tell. That's how I would start my pitches for adaptations. And then quickly realized... Well, not so quickly, actually. It took me a while <laughs> to realize that was not the best way to pitch for an adaptation. The best way to pitch is the way you pitch for anything else. Just pitch your movie because mm-hmm. the executives sitting across from you have also read the book and they know what that book sounds like. So if you pitch your story, they're going to know where you diverged without you having to say, I'm diverging here. Oh, by the way, I'm diverging here. You don't need to do that. Just pitch your your, your movie and they will understand why. Um, and then at the end, if they want to ask you like, oh, I, I see that you made this a lesbian relationship instead of a heterosexual relationship. Can you talk about why you did that? Now you can start to talk about why you diverged, but yeah. I wouldn't. Yeah. And totally also agree. it's never good to like tell your exec, this is what I don't like about your book because uh-huh. I definitely have definitely done several pitches where I was like, we both hate this book, right? Can we just agree? <laughs> and the response was like, um, no. <laughs> Well, there's certain things. No, I, I completely agree. And it, it sounds like like most things with screenwriting and just maybe the world and entertainment, it's like it comes down to just having your confidence in one direction. Yeah. And doubling down. This is what it is. This is what I'm doing here. Take it, leave it. I don't give a fuck. This is what it is. I think so. I th- That's so scary to do. And it took me so long to start doing that in adaptations. I would just try to find the best way to translate the book. Yeah. And honestly, that's less fun for me too. It's less fun for everyone is what I learned. And I realized that the people who are asking me to adapt these books and pitch them aren't actually asking for a translation. Again, like I said, they're more excited by someone who comes in and is like, I'm going to do an Alice in Wonderland version of Harry Potter. You're like, oh, 
oh, tell me more. That's interesting. Yeah. That's not so, something anyone else has bitched. In. That actually sounds interesting. Yeah, like a fever dream, Harry Potter. Oh, shit. <laughs> Harry's on some drugs, goes into a weird hole, and now our adventure begins. Yeah. I once had a friend, wrote, he wrote a script that was like called Larry Potter. So, something similar to that. It's <laughs> awesome. That's it. That's honestly, those are my steps to starting an adaptation. We can talk another time about kind of what you do after this stage. But um, yeah, that's my I, TED talk. No, I think that's great. It's it's hard because, I mean, this sounds really basic, but it's like, where do I begin? What mm -hmm. do I do with this book? How, how what am I, I'm going to pitch on this, but like, how, you know, and what you just said really, I think it's great. Yeah, it can be so scary to just sit there with a novel, especially a novel that is so big and crazy. You have no idea how to adapt it. Yeah. It feels overwhelming and impossible. And then you have no idea where to start. And I think in that case, you start to rely on the book to tell you what to do. And I think that's the wrong thing to do is you should start with yourself. I love that. That's, that's wise right there. I'm like pumped. Let's go adapt something. Let's go adapt something because the book sounds like it's more like a map. Map. You know, it's not the answer. No. But it is the answer in a weird way. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's go find something to adapt right now. <laughs> All right. Quote of the day. Quote of the day. That was awesome. I, I feel pumped up about it. Me too. All right. Quote of the day. Mm -hmm. Firestarter is one of the worst adaptations of the bunch, even though in terms of story, it's very close to the original, but it's flavorless. It's like cafeteria mashed potatoes. Stephen King. That could not have been a more perfect quote. <laughs> Please remember to rate and subscribe. Follow us at Act Two Writers for more awesome writing stuff. You can follow me, Tasha, at Story Thursday on Instagram or on Twitter at Tasha 3.0. And I'm Joshua Hallman on Twitter, Josh Hallman on Instagram. And as always, the Act 2 podcast is a production of Act 2, a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. This episode was edited by Paul Lundquist, music by 414 Bag, which you can find on Spotify. Mm -hmm.